Thank you for joining us for the third edition of the Comics Pals review show for Watchmen, which we are affectionately calling We Watched Watchmen. This episode, uh, I'm joined by Kale, and we're going to be talking about the third episode of Watchmen, which introduces us to a character who is very obviously going to be pivotal going forward, Lori Blake. You might know her as Lori... Jupasek, the Silk Spectre. Two Silk Spectre. Two. That well, that's true. I always read it as Jupasek, but I don't know. I yeah, I have no idea. I'm from the Midwest, so there's. I mean, there was never any help for me getting that. I've never met a human with a name like that. But hey, uh, so this episode definitely pulls away from the plot we've been more focused on. Uh, Episode two was definitely meatier. And definitely drove the story forward. This one takes a step back mm. and focuses on Laurie, uh, and I, which I think was effective because for two reasons. One, a lot of time has passed for those of us who read Watchmen, and we need to catch up with her. And for two, if you've never heard of her before and you've never watched Watchmen, then you need to get some familiarity with who this character is. Although I wouldn't say that she's completely recognizable. As the same character from the comic, uh, there are similarities. Yeah, I would say overall, I don't know if I necessarily totally agree with the choices that were made for this character, but I don't hate them. So, which did you not agree with? We're taught, you know, we're going right into it. Full spoilers, all that jazz. Uh, okay. How about the uh, the giant blue pipe bomb that she always carries around in her? Hey, listen, man. Every every, every woman's got one, right? <laughs> um. So that that was the my I, I saw that minor spoiler. Yeah. Um. A couple of uh, I, I guess yesterday. It's Tuesday as we we're recording, but she apparently carries a giant a gi- mind you a, a it's a pipe. That thing is like. There's not a better way to put it. <laughs> that thing you could knock people out. That, with thing, that thing it's as long as your arm. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a blue Mister Manhattan dildo. Like, <laughs> and I it's <laughs> there are there are a couple of things about that. One, I pre- I appreciate it as a a character piece, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but I also I the thing about it is that. When we left the character in Watchmen, I I didn't necessarily think that she would that she would be in a place where she would need something like that. Why not? I guess what I mean is that she would need a giant blue one specifically. Why not? Uh for me by the end of Watchmen, I felt that she had moved on. So okay, well enough. I see what you're saying. That's that's what I mean. I'm not saying the woman isn't entitled to her, you know, sexual taste. Of course, her sexual party favors, as it were. Right. It's the the giant blue one that I. That said, this could be a very specific kink. I would imagine that uh, this one. It's. I imagine it's probably a bit like uh, putting a, a nine volt battery to your tongue. <laughs> wow um i see what you're saying the general implication is that you feel that she would have moved on by now from from uh, john from dr manhattan and i get that and i thought that same thing throughout the episode but then i thought well if i were in a relationship with someone who essentially became a god uh that would be a little bit tough to forget about and I think that was the justification uh, coming from the creators, yeah. because apparently there's like Deadline Hollywood or The Decider or something that uh, I've seen all over Twitter that leaked the that image. Um, I, I guess they spoke to Lindelof about it, and the first buzz I saw was was he basically said something to that effect. You know, if you're going to date someone who's a god, how do you how do you sort of walk away from that and not want it back? Right. And I saw a few things criticizing him for that. But then I saw that this actually came from the 
uh, I get the writer of the episode, I think Lila something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he pushed back a little on it, apparently, but they, they wanted this so much that it just seemed like it was the thing to do. Yeah, I mean, look. So I, I don't know, man. I don't, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. Because Lila Biak, Biak, yeah, uh, it's the it was the other writer on this episode. I didn't have a problem with it because at the end of the day, I think that that justification makes sense. If you were in a relationship with that type of and and by the way, that's a she, um, uh, she is a woman. Uh, if you are if you are in a relationship with a character like that, that's going to be hard to shake. Obviously, she's had one heck of a life. At the end of her life, she learned that her father, or not the end, at the end of her life, at the end of Watchmen, she learned that her father is the comedian. Um, her husband got arrested, you know, Night Owl, uh, and she's been presumably alone for a really long time. She herself, I believe, was also arrested and then was and then became an FBI uh, uh, officer. So. She's had a heck of a life, and I I understand that the world is not great, and there's someone mm. out there who can fix it, and chooses not to, and she's left here. You know, that sucks. She's been to Mars. All that I get, I guess I just... I... The... The manifestation of that as a giant blue dildo is... All right. I guess it's an une- it's an unexpected uh, manifestation. Your puritism that, I guess. aside, I read. Oh, it's an, no, 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 I'm no, no. Just kidding with you, Jesus. I <laughs> I read all of this with her as as it relates to Doctor Manhattan as more of a an expression of trauma than a pining for a lost relationship. Interesting, because she's on the phone, you know, with dr manhattan you know quote unquote and Mm -hmm. i looked at it a lot like a confessional or something like that oh Uh, there was a sadness that i thought was present in what she was saying but i didn't take it to be necessarily a sadness of like man i want you back i took it as a sadness of like man all that stuff that happened back then was crazy and i never really dealt with it and the world still sucks so what did we really do how how heroic were we all really if you guys were douchebags, and you left the world to hell, and I'm the one who has who was left to deal with that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And and we see how she deals with that in this episode. We see that she has definitely developed a distaste for masked figures of all kinds. You know, she mm. she sees no difference between the vigilanteism that she herself engaged in alongside some really bad dudes uh, back in the '80s and the cops who are playing dress-up in Tulsa. Uh, to her, they're one and the same, and she thinks that they both need to go. One of the earlier scenes in the episode is her staging a bank robbery to capture a hero who very much resembles Batman. Uh, yeah. Mr. Shadow, I think, was The Revenger, Mr. Shadow, he, one of those two names. There were yeah. two characters that were referenced, but only one that she actually captures. Uh, yeah, she doesn't care about any of that. She's clearly disillusioned by the Mm. events of Watchmen and and everything that's happened in her life after that. And I think it's important to remember that that stuff was really bad. That stuff was traumatizing. Mm. And she's still trucking along trying to do the right thing. And she was one of the only people trying to do the right thing in a good way in Watchmen. Mm -hmm. So... Like I said, this episode definitely focuses more on her and the FBI side of things. Last week, we talked about how we didn't really see anything outside of Tulsa, and this time we definitely do. So I really appreciated the scene where we have the uh, FBI, the, whoever, whoever the lead was, uh, de- briefing everyone on what needed to go down in Tulsa and, how, and what had kind of gotten to this point. And that, was, that to me, was, was a lot of what I wanted to see out of this series going forward. What did you make of that? Yeah, how the uh, how those events are affecting the the rest of the world, right. for sure. 
the the briefing itself didn't do a ton for me i guess it um it sort of placed us in the in the time frame of the episode yeah uh, of you know where where we are time wise in terms of the series uh but the the yeah the briefing itself i guess yeah i don't know, it didn't it didn't do a ton for me not in a good or a bad way it just it, it just was sure um i really liked getting to see the slides I really liked mm. seeing how, you know, even the, the PD character we're going to talk about in a little bit, he puts up the slide of the the Rorschach page. Mm-hmm. And even though we are aware, and this is something that I think people maybe don't don't recognize or, you know, I haven't really seen enough conversation about. We don't, we know because we read the comic that what is in the journal the journal is real but everyone else doesn't know that and i think that's a pretty important piece to this story yeah uh, what i gathered from the the pdpedia material is that the the journal it's both used as like propaganda for the seventh cavalry and it like fuels their conspiracy uh about like a government cover-up or whatever but it the government also just sort of ignores it because there's no real proof that any of it happened. It's the ravings of a lunatic. Right. And that's awesome because it it definitely adds a whole other layer to this that only works for you if you've read the comic. You know, imagine watching this series having not read the book and you don't know whether it's real or not real, whether it's something to take uh, as truth or not and i love the tension of that playing into this mm. series so far well and i think i think that's what's so interesting about the the dichotomy between the seventh cavalry wearing the rorschach mask as well as uh the looking glass character yeah. and specifically his mask because instead of you know looking at it and the mask itself being a Rorschach test, it's a mirror. Yeah. And and speaking of masks, there were so many different instances of Laurie in particular, um, you know, breaking down the the idolatry, I think is the correct word, of hmm. these masked individuals, breaking down that, that sort of hero worship. You know, these characters wear the mask, yes, we understand, because of the fact that cops were targeted. But you don't need to be wearing cool outfits and things like that, right? They're doing it because of something. It's a reference to what's happened in the past. You know, they look like characters who could be slotted right into the 1980s alongside Night Owl or whoever else. And she's not here for that, right? She yeah. pokes fun at LG's mask by looking in her teeth uh, using his mask as a mirror, right? Mm. Which Crawford did as well. Yeah, but... Uh, Judd, uh, 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 Nash Bridges. When he... <laughs> had to throw that in there. When he did that, <laughs> it didn't feel disrespectful. She w- she went out of her way to disrespect him and and sort of what he's standing for by wearing that mask. That's what I read. It felt to me more, uh, a bit more like she was asserting her place. Me, and I could see how you would read that as disrespectful for sure. Uh, but in that same way that Crawford used used his uh, the Looking Glass mask to uh, fix his tie, it just it very much reminded me of a of that similar sort of use of of his mask, and it's it was her sort of commandeering the the position if it were just that i'd agree with you but i i don't i don't disagree with what you're saying at all but i I do think there is that extra level as well she refused to use their names their 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 hero names or whatever outside of a mocking tone uh she Mm -hmm. she she very much had an agenda that again she's disillusioned by all this stuff she's not about it and because all these people have been living this way for presumably quite some time, 
for someone to come along and not just know exactly who they really are. So the masks are already ineffective, but to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, just not, not pay any respects toward the, toward the mask, uh, was, was surprising for them. And I think it rubbed everyone the wrong way. She was very much a character who, who, who no one felt comfortable around. I especially liked uh, her her interaction with Sister Knight. Yeah. It was both a very good moment, but it was uh, 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 very powerful in, in what you're saying. Um, to that as well, she also had uh, it was like pop art, like Andy Warhol pop art of of she and her. Uh, I guess they were the Minutemen yeah. in in the uh, the 80s in her apartment. I thought that was super interesting. And I love the shot of her real self covering the the image of her from that portrait behind her and the other characters yep. being portrayed by their portraits thought that was really great there were a few really cool uh, cinematic choices in this episode uh, going back to the mask thing there were a few times where characters faces were obscured uh, by things that kind of made it look like they were wearing a mask uh, uh, things like that like um, I'm trying to think of a specific example I I can't recall exactly but there were there were a couple of instances like that. Uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, so just real quick, we mentioned Petey, right? Uh, and this mm. that's the the character who uh, accompanies Laurie over to Tulsa uh, to conduct this investigation into the death of Judd and into everything that's going on over over there. And we're pretty sure that this is the same character who has this Petypedia thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. That's what we're led to believe, right? For sure. And so, for anyone who didn't listen to our last episode or just is generally uninformed about this, Pedipedia is a uh, like a an in-universe Wikipedia type of thing that has history to it about history relating to Watchmen. If you it, they release a new one each episode, I guess, and it just gives you mm-hmm. supplemental information about what's happening in the episodes. Yeah, even less supplemental information. It's more just like supplemental reading material. So if you've read Watchmen, it's the it's the 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 pirate comics or the um, uh, Hollis Mason's book. So yeah, the, this this week there were a few really interesting contents. Uh, there was a memo uh, about the American Hero story, and apparently on this on this program in in the fiction of the show they. They cover Hooded Justice, uh, the comedian, and the original Silk Spectre, uh, Laurie Blake's mother. And uh, this dude is not having it. He is a straight-up nerd. <laughs> uh, I, I, he says um, in the show, he explains his credentials to Laurie, but he, he basically has a, a PhD in masks and the history of all this. And so he takes he takes real uh, umbrage with the, uh, the 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 false information that's presented for especially hooded justice. Yeah. Um, and he <laughs> one of, now one of my favorite parts of Watchmen are the the excerpts from Hollis Mason's book Under the Hood. Uh, Hollis Mason was the original Night Owl from the the fifties and sixties who inspired Night Owl. <laughs> Dan, Dan, uh, what's Dryberg? Yeah, Dan Dryberg. Let's see, where is it? Oh, in in just a, a uh, uh, just a, a shot across the bow here in in the final paragraph of of the Hooded Justice segment, he calls uh, uh, Mason's book masturbatory musings as meaningful seed for the American hero story Minutemen Hooded Justice segment. <laughs> um, pretty brutal. Yeah. But that was uh, really interesting to to see that they had done a, a few more episodes of that. I, I guess in the in the time between the episodes, mm-hmm. uh, then they have an article from the New Frontiersman, which boy does it read just like something you would read on like Breitbart or something. Well. Uh, we'll we'll save that. If people want to check that out, they can go do that. I want to focus a little bit more on the episode here. Okay, I do have one thing I want to pull from that and the other PDPedia thing, yeah. but we can talk about that 
a little bit later because I th- I might want to position a hook. Fair enough. Uh, so one of the more interesting things in, about the episode is something that doesn't really get addressed but is left hanging, I suppose. Uh, now there is this, you know, what is he, a senator, something of that nature? Um, the uh, Keen? Keen, yes, who who encourages or puts Lori on the job uh, to come to Tulsa and address what's going on over there. He essentially says to her, you know, if you go and I become president, uh, then I can help you get your owl out of his cage. Which I took to mean, yeah. if especially as a as a reference to what we did learn from the PDPedia stuff uh, in an earlier episode, that Night Owl's locked up, and he's offering freedom for Dan if she, you know, does what he wants. Or yeah, he's insinuating he can give it anyway. Yeah, yeah. and. There was there were some people online who took that a little more literally and thought that maybe Night Owl or Dan got transformed into an owl and was that owl that was that she had in her house, which is ridiculous. What? But that's that's pretty wild. <laughs> I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. On a show like this, I suppose. There's a dude living on Mars who's blue and walks around with his dong out, but you know. I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, let, 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 let's jump ahead. Because I think what we were all really here for... Because Gene Smart did a phenomenal job with, with, with this portrayal Man, of Lori Blake, right? She is so good. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't... I can't think of anything I've seen her in before, but she did a tremendous job. She's an old sitcom star. Um, I'm not 100% sure what she's been in, but uh, more recently she was in uh, Legion. Okay. On uh, FX, as as she plays kind of a Professor Xavier role in the first season, um, and she does it really well. She she is a, a very good actress, obviously. Um, so she she is you know in the zeitgeist, as it were. Right. Yeah i I uh, didn't have any familiarity with her, but uh, she clearly is a tremendous actress and I'm glad that she's taking part in this show. But I think what we were all here for was an interaction between her and uh, Regina King's character, um, Angela. And that did not disappoint at all. It had the the feeling of a a white girl who cuts in line at Starbucks. (laughs) I guess guess specifically cuts a, a black woman in line at Starbucks. And then, you know, tries to preach at her or whatever. And then, and then, uh, uh, just the, Angela's reaction to her proselytizing was so good. Yeah, I really appreciated her response. It was definitely, uh, it, it, she didn't need to say anything to smack her down, you know, but I, mm. it didn't feel like a complete, uh, smackdown. It was, they, they definitely felt like they were, kind of on even footing um but it, yeah. it definitely established that angela is nonplussed she's not gonna respond to um the sort of idle threats and the the way sort of the way that that uh laurie dressed down uh lg earlier on and kind of made him seem small in his little mask and everything else uh that wasn't gonna work in this scenario mm. she's gonna have to do more she yeah she she was a lot more clever about it but i i still think that's what happened i still feel like she was pretty condescending no she certainly was i just mean that it didn't have an impact on 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 angela oh absolutely yeah absolutely. and even though laurie knows everything she she clearly has knowledge of the fact that there was someone in a wheelchair at the scene of judd's hanging that uh angie did go into and find this secret room in Judd's house. I love that call out too. How she she says her her father, the comedian, had his stuff in a in a 
secret compartment in the closet. So she just, you know, she just checks the closet just in case. Yeah. That's such that's such a good character moment. Definitely. And and this this episode was chock full of those. I mean, yeah. you can really tell that Damon and and I, I mean, I don't know if the rest of the writers have a familiarity with Watchmen or a deep appreciation for it, but you can tell that he does because there's no stone unturned with a with this character. The first one he gets to write from Watchmen who isn't playing it so close to the vest that we can actually relate to because Mm -hmm. you can't relate to adrian like we're going to talk about him in a moment but like all that stuff is just too weird but yeah who the fuck knows what's going on there (laughs) with laurie he's getting to write her history and and sort of you know bring her into our time and he does so in such a way that there's a love there she feels like a fully realized character Mm. and i appreciated that agreed so, just before they have their their dust up, uh, there is a funeral that's being held for Judd, and Lori remarks on you know the quickness with which they seem to desire to bury him. And eight days uh, was it? Eight days? That's it. That's what I got. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She se- she seemed surprised by how quickly they wanted to you know put him in the ground. And how come there was no toxicology on him? Which, if there had been, they would have found cocaine in his system. But I don't know what else she might have been wondering about. Mm. So that had me, you know, asking questions myself. But there was an attack by a 7th Cavalry member on this funeral. And I really didn't buy this. I, I, I feel as though this was a setup. And obviously, Seventh Cavalry set it up, but I feel that there was some. There's something more behind the scenes here, and I think it involves Keen. I think you're exactly right because the the PDpedia uh, stuff with the New Frontiersmen uh, talks a lot about uh, how big a fan they are of Senator Keen, um, and there's a lot of really garbage uh right wing uh material in here but the 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 real thing to take away is uh go to the polls and cast your vote for senator king or whoever the republican nominee will be Mm. they name him specifically um as well as there is a letter to who i i it must be uh, judd's grandfather who's the sheriff of of tulsa from J. David Keene, who you gotta assume is a relative of of our Senator Keene. Yeah. Which, again, last week we talked about, you know, the generational nature of racism. And and quite frankly, you can can tie that into uh, the Watchmen characters as well, because a lot of these characters are, you know, Night Owl 2, Silk Spectre 2, Second generation characters. Um, So there's a lot of generational stuff going on here. And so it wouldn't surprise me if maybe we don't see those characters, like maybe um, Keen's, you know, grandfather or father or distant relatives don't play a factor into the show. But if you read the supplemental material, you get a bigger picture of, oh, wow, this is something that's been brewing. This is something, this is a, a wide conspiracy that goes back generations. So I really love that, uh, that touch. But... I was very uh, intrigued by the fact that the 7th Cavalry happened to know where this funeral was taking place. Mm. And the fact that they specifically went for Keen, that doesn't surprise me because I could see why they would have hatred towards him. And I don't say that this individual member knew that Keen is involved, if he is. But I think Keen wanted this to happen. Well, dude's a, a senator in the first place, so you know if it if it is a if the Seventh Cavalry is a, a a political terrorist group, then you know they're gonna go for a political figure. I didn't see the the keen the keen of it all before I read the PDPedia stuff. What I did notice was that his name is Joseph Keen Jr., and that made me think of JFK, and so. I I wondered if we uh, 
if we'd heard his middle initial at any point. Right. I, I didn't come up with anything, but it, it that did make me wonder if we were going to see him as some sort of political martyr or something. I don't necessarily think that now, but that was my initial impression from the episode. Sure, sure. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to see how that develops going forward. I really am intrigued by where this whole Keen story is, is going here. Um, so let, let's talk about, oh, before we move on, how smart of uh, Angie, how she, how she managed to, you know, oh. dump this dude's body into the grave and then dump the, the, uh, the, the casket, casket over, it. over it. That was, that was just so smart. Yeah. Uh, and putting the casket on top of it, uh, was I think the 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 smart part of the move? Like uh, for me, it was okay. Oh, great! She's got him. She's gonna drag him into the hole. Oh, yeah, cool. Okay, get out of there. Oh shit! I see what she's doing. Yeah. Um. And and Laurie just not giving a damn. Just again calling the dude's bluff, mm-hmm. seeing past mm-hmm. it. She was dead wrong. But um, you know, I just I just love both of those moments for both of those characters. Yeah. But I wanted to move on and talk about. Adrian Veidt. Good luck. <laughs> there's there's definitely still missing pieces in terms of what he's doing, but we got more information for sure as to what's happening with this character. So he apparently is A, the recipient of plastic surgery, which mm. eased me a lot because I was like, this doesn't look like how I feel he would look if he had gotten older. That was something that I expressed way back in episode one. So the idea that he got plastic surgery made me feel better. Because I just didn't think he looked right. Uh, and, and nothing against Jeremy Irons. I, I love Jeremy Irons. But I just didn't feel like he looked like Ozzy. And so if he got plastic surgery, that's fine. In my head canon, he loves Jeremy Irons too. And he got plastic surgery to look like Jeremy Irons. <laughs> sure. That's what I'm going that, with. You know what? That makes sense. <laughs> who Who does old... Adrian Veidt look like to you? Oh, I'm bad with stuff like that. I don't know. I just, it just, when I saw that casting, I was like, ah, I don't feel it. See, I, not that I dislike the, uh, the plastic surgery angle. I think that does make a lot of sense. And, uh, with a man of Veidt's, you know, resources, it, it, it totally makes sense. Um, but in, on the same level as someone like, um, uh, Alfred, uh, you know, Batman's Alfred. I think you want you sort of want someone who has sort of that dignified air, you know. And I think Jer- Jeremy Irons really captures that. So I like I I bought it. Yeah, ultimately it it, it works in terms of his ability to act for sure. So I'm I'm glad we got him at the end of the day. But the other thing that we did learn is that he's imprisoned. This whole mansion, this all this land that he is on is a prison for him. And he is imprisoned by someone known as the game... What was it? The game master? The game warden? The game warden. The game warden. And he knows this, but he still tried to go beyond his, uh, his grounds, I guess. Beyond his, his, his attributed space. And he almost died for it. Ah, uh, I, maybe, I, I can't tell if I think it's necessarily imprisonment, although on some level I, I, I can definitely see that. I feel like there is certainly an arrangement that would make him feel like it was a prison, for sure. But I, I, I think whoever this game warden is has maybe seen, like, patterns of behavior before and like with Vike going to kill another buffalo you know you gotta imagine this isn't the second buffalo he's ever killed for whatever nefarious purposes he's got uh it just it just didn't quite strike me as as uh, as harsh as a prison maybe prison is i mean you can quarrel with the word but he's definitely captive like he he, he can't do whatever he wants on this on this space right like hmm um it did it did the the scene where they were writing the letter really felt like an old man uh bickering with his neighbor or something 
Yeah, yeah. And and a and a and a man as powerful as Vite. I don't if if he were in control of this situation, there'd be no one to tell him no. Yeah, that's true. So there's something interesting going on with that angle. And then the suit that he built for his clone guy to wear Mr. Phillips was I'm very confident that Adrian is trying to teleport. Escape through the air. Yeah. Oh, teleport. Interesting. And that dude died because, you know, just didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, So that's my theory there. I don't know that I'm right. But we did get a cool glimpse at him in costume. Yeah. Yeah, that moment where he confirms, I am Adrian Veidt. Ozymandias, and then he puts on the suit, and it, I mean, it even looked, you know, like, like a real Ozymandias suit, like it looked straight from the comics. Yeah. The, the mask, I thought, looked a little bit off, but I liked that touch as, I mean, knowing that he got plastic surgery, I liked that the mask wasn't quite right, because that wasn't always his face. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but I did. I did like that. So we we had the joke, right? That Laurie is telling Doctor Manhattan on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this 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 phone that apparently, if you if you have a what would they call it, like a platinum account or whatever it was, that you could call and Doctor Manhattan would listen to your message on Mars. Uh, yeah. Which seems like exactly the type of thing that would, like the type of, like, not tourist, but, you know, that garbage crap that would, oh, call Dr. Manhattan and he'll listen to your yeah, message sure. and, you know, sure, uh, sure, for nine ninety nine a month. And so she's doing, she's on the phone with him. And as I mentioned earlier, very much read to me as a confessional to God. Uh, but she t- she's telling him this joke. And it's a joke that sort of tells the story of Watchmen as it relates to very specific characters, probably, I guess, the characters who were most important to her throughout that journey. Uh, of course, she chooses Night Owl, um, Dr. Manhattan himself, Mendias, and her. <laughs> and I really appreciated this story because it perfectly encapsulates how she feels, not just about these characters, but what they all engaged in together. She says that Night Owl... They, they all go before God. And Night Owl goes to hell because he was too weak. He didn't kill anybody. Didn't really do anything too bad. But he was a weak guy. Mm. In Watchmen, Night Owl is impotent without a costume on. Yeah. And he uses that as a source of power. She clearly despises all masks and all forms of idolatry. And so the fact that he couldn't get it up without that costume, yeah, I could see why she would sentence him to hell for that. The, her- the heroic action preceding whatever yeah. coitus. She says that Adrian gets sentenced to hell because he killed millions of people. Yeah. And what I loved about that was, and I said I said this to, to Jess as, as we were watching it, was the I love two things about that part of the story. Was that God would you... Would use Christ as an expletive. I thought that was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's such perfect characterization that Adrian would be the one to be arrogant enough to argue with God about whether or not he's a monster. Yeah, yeah. I I I really loved uh, all of that with her. How she how she broke down his character. But then we we moved on to Doctor Manhattan. And she refers to him as the blue god. And Dr. Manhattan is certainly the closest thing to, to a god that exists in in this universe. And mm. outside of, you know, whether or not there is a real god. But like a physical right. manifestation right, right, right. of god. And she says he also goes to hell. And I love the way that she that she sort of phrased it and said it because it was in it was in the same language that Dr. Manhattan would use like uh he's he he can see in the future and he says well I know I go to hell and and he's asked why and he says because I'm already there 
I just I just yeah. love that. Um, yeah. But then she moves on to herself. And she had told a little story earlier about a a man who was uh, building a building or something or other, and she takes a, one brick out of it, and she says, I have other plans for this brick. And as God is talking to her and saying, I don't even know who you are, I don't even remember making you, uh, the brick lands on his head and kills him. And so... And then he goes and to hell. And then he goes to hell. I took that as a complete rebuke and condemnation of all hero worship. Because God spent so much time focusing on these people who were obsessed with heroics or being more than they are or playing God themselves that he forgot mm-hmm. about the people that he made. And as a result mm-hmm. of that, he died and went to hell. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And just just as I was recalling the the beginning of the, the story, the joke, uh, that part of the story is there's a bricklayer who's very good at laying bricks. And he teaches his daughter the same trade. And she also is very, very good at like bricks. And so they build this barbecue pit with bricks. And it's finished and it's perfect, but there's one brick left. And so the the bricklayer goes crazy and he starts to try to destroy it. But the daughter says, no, 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 wait. I know what we can do with this brick. And she throws it just as high and as hard as she can. Cut to her telling the end of the story the brick hits god right so if we're following this parallel and the girl is the bricklayer's daughter that's got to be the comedian and her sure i'm wondering if in this symbolism if the 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 bricks and the the sort of um barbecue pit are like the world and society hmm because the the comedian himself was very good at what he did, and I, I think at some point he was an agent for the government. Yeah. Uh, so he does he does everything he's supposed to do, and then just kind of snaps because it all doesn't work out the way it's supposed to, and he starts trying to chip away at the government and society itself. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. I like I like that angle as well. I think that's really interesting. That's interesting. And I I wouldn't be surprised if uh, more or less of either one or both were what was intended. Like if both of yeah. those were intended to be uh, the you know what we got out of. Mm. But the show has a more literal response to what she says as she walks out of this confessional you know booth. Uh, a car comes from the heavens above. And lands right in front of her feet. Almost kills her. She almost died yeah. uh, to space junk. And there's a big red light in the sky, which signified to me at least Mars. What else could it have been? Yeah. like <laughs> Right. This is the car that got taken in episode two that had uh, the old man in it, Will. This is Angela's car. Oh, interesting. I bet we'll see that. And get the confirmation the next episode. But I wondered if we'd seen it before. Yeah. So she obviously has a good old laugh about this. Because it confirms for her that Dr. Manhattan is listening. I'm not so sure about that. But. If that's not. Because here's the thing. That car got taken up by a magnet. Right. Attached to. We couldn't really tell what kind of a vehicle it was. But Dr. Manhattan would not need to do that. If he had, if he was the one who took the car, he could have taken it through any means, right? He could have just teleported yeah. it to Mars. So I don't believe he took it. Now, he could have served it up for her because if Will is in the car, which I would imagine he would die from a fall like that. Um, but if yeah. he were in the car, maybe that would give her more information, uh, allow her to break the case wide open. Um, and that would be a gift. I feel like, though, we would have seen him. Like, I feel like that's cliffhanger moment that would play for, a, you know, the end of an episode. Well, uh, the cliffhanger in my mind was, who did this? Yes. Not necessarily think, who's in this. But I think that's why, that's why I don't think he's in it. 
because the 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 car itself i think is supposed to be the the gift and who did this i think will is probably safe wherever will is with night owl well if that's the case then the car has little significance oh for sure so it'll be interesting to see why that exactly happened if it were to have been dr manhattan as i said i'm not sure that i'm convinced that it was Although it would make sense given, you know, the fact that we saw what appeared to be Mars and all that jazz. Uh, so, yeah, I really love the way this episode ended. It, it gave us some, something to think about. They've teased whether or not Dr. Manhattan will actually make an appearance on the show. And I'm on the fence about whether or not that will take place. I kind of hope it does, but I'm not, I'm not 100%. I mean, we keep seeing a blue dude in a suit. Yeah you know, in the the upcoming episodes. And I I don't know if you saw it, but there is a, a Watchmen, well, there's several Watchmen podcasts now, but there's an official HBO Watchmen podcast. And basically all throughout that, they showed, uh, you know, bits and pieces of a, a blue guy in a suit through that uh, ad for that. Yes, yes. I, I have seen it, and I feel that, I don't know, I watched Lost, and... yeah. There were a lot of times on Lost where you thought something was a thing and it wasn't. So I don't really take anything at face value on this show because of that. Sure. But, uh, yeah, did you have any other thoughts about the episode in terms of, you know, any kind of speculation going forward or anything like that before we close this deal? Uh, I had just a couple of just little little things. The That superhero that went through the... Or the vigilante that went through that she caught in the yep. bank, the way he falls through the door. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was a dollar bill reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a similar thought. And then uh, just one. Oh, 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 two things. They're related. Um, so, do you remember the thing that uh, Angela's kid was building? No. In the last episode, it was some kind of silver. It looked like a, a, a an advanced Lego set. It was floating. Okay, yeah. Uh, something very similar to that was in Adrian's lab. Yes. Do you, yes, do you, yes. Can you see it? You know what I'm talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Which led me to, I swear, so Jess suggested that Angela's husband might be Dr. Manhattan. I don't know how serious she was about that. However, it did put me in the position to think, what if it's the kid? That's possible. Because it seems like he, you know, all due respect to any mental illness issues, it seems like he has like a, a difficulty with emotion and figuring stuff out, you know, be that trauma, be that, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, but he, when he was doing this thing, it was also floating. And it seemed like nothing was holding it up. Hmm. And when he felt an emotion, he broke it. Which is what Dr. Manhattan does on Mars with his glass house. Well, goddamn, man. I totally missed all that. Where was I? (laughs) This show does such a good job of... If you look for it, you can really put it together. Yeah. Hi, so good. Um, Jess also, she mentioned the way that the show really works as uh, visually as a, a comic book. This episode, at least to me, was the strongest evidence of that because a lot of the images that were shown worked directly against the the things that were being said. Mm. As opposed to, like, text on a comic book page working against the image. I think this is a show that's worth talking about from, like, a purely cinematic point of view. Yeah. And that that could be an entirely different conversation. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good place to wrap for this episode. It was very strong. My favorite to date. I was excited to be able to, you know, be a little closer to an OG Watchmen character. And we got that. I thought it was I, one of the critiques I, I saw of this episode was that was that when you get closer to the Watchmen lore, it drags down the show. I've thought that was crazy. 
after after watching it. I was a little worried about it, but after watching it, I was like, that's that added so much to the show. Like, why? I mean, if you look, if you feel that Sister Knight and the focus being on her lost a little bit because of this episode, okay, but that's one episode where she wasn't the complete and utter focus. Mm. And what was lost there, I feel, was gained in spades by adding a character who, even if she wasn't who she was, was just well-written and fantastic. But then when you recognize, oh, yeah, she's this character from Watchmen, it creates and adds this lineage to the show that I I don't really feel you could have a Watchmen. Like, you could have a Watchmen show, in theory, without any of the original characters, but it adds so much more. Like, as a fan of Watchmen, it adds so much more to get to see one of them appear here, and especially Laurie, because, as I said before, in terms of trauma, in terms of bad stuff, right, she's the closest to it all. And so for her to be the one that we get to live with is perfect. As you said, even if you don't, even if she wasn't Laurie and the Silk Spectre and the character that she is, this character and this character's viewpoint builds so much on the world. It's essential. It doesn't make sense to not have it. At some point, there needed to be a character who existed outside of Tulsa. It had yeah. to happen. And there, I don't really feel like there was a better one. It could have been a random FBI agent. That's not interesting. You know? It's Laurie. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with another We Watched Watchmen episode. Hopefully, episode four gives us a little more information about what's happening with Adrian. And I would love to follow up with Will and everything with him as well. So lots more to keep up with for this show. Go check out the PDPedia. There's a lot of information over there that if you haven't seen before, you're going to love. And check us out all over the internet. We are the Comics Pals. Normally we do a weekly podcast where we talk about comics, comic book movies, comic books, comic book television, whatever. Um, So if you love that stuff, you'll love our podcast. And if you do love our podcast, be sure to leave it a like, drop us a comment, letting us know what you think, and uh, subscribe to us all over the internet. With that, we are the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Giant blue dong in the sky.